Oh, and it has been a while, but we are back. Ted Robinson, Yogi Roth, Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. It is late July. This should be media days, Ted, right around now. Like This is what we should be talking about, uh, but we're not. So we're going to talk about some other things. First and foremost, Grandpa, again, congratulations oh, to you. Well, yeah, but wait a minute. This is back, backseat stuff. Yogi Roth is a dad. You talk about headlines. And I was thinking for whenever the first game is being played, and we'll find out maybe this week. Uh, we hope we have one, but I'm hiring a plane. We're hiring a plane to fly over to congratulate Amy on being so solid, so strong to give you guys this beautiful son that you have to add with Zane to your family, Yogi. And uh, I can't, uh, and it's just, it's, it's the greatest. And to see you smile, to see the pictures, which I've been able to see, that uh, with you, with that child, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah. Well, you know, I instantly flash back and we've never talked about this, but I, I don't know, what is this? Our fourth or fifth season together. And in our first season, you came down to California in the off season and we went out to a bite to eat, went and had sushi. And I never forget on our way back, you said, okay. And I was dating Amy at the time. And you said, all right, Hey, if you're serious about this, like you're gonna have to start figuring out your life. And you know, you have to figure out your time. You're not going to be able to watch that extra game. You're going to have to understand where your commitments are and where they lie. And I was like, nah, I'll be able to do everything. Right. And, and I learned really fast that I couldn't do everything. But since that day, Ted, so many times you've given me such great advice about being a good partner, being a good husband. Obviously you're a great role model with you and your wife, uh, Mary. And now as a dad with a newborn, um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep calling on you. It might be at three in the morning. That's all right. So be ready for that. But it's, it's the greatest. And look, when, when everybody who's been through this, everybody who's been through parenthood will tell you the same exact thing. So I'm not unique in this regard, but it puts everything in the right place. And a word that gets used a lot, perspective, is obviously part of this. So the game, the extra game tape, pouring through another batch of analytic reports when you've already done that, and your baby's saying, I need you dad in whatever form at three months or eight months or 12 months and then eventually becomes words you pretty quickly learn i'm taking care of my son that's what you do and and it's all because you get to the other end where i'm at now and you have grandkids it's all worth it amen and congrats to you and your family as well and we're kind of neighbors you got to come down to socal to see your son and the new baby well, and here's the serious part, and, I, and I, I empathize a great deal with you and Amy and my son and his wife, who are also in Southern California, just had their first child. And to do it during the pandemic is very different. It's very different. And I, and I empathize because it's not, the, it's not the full normal experience. It can't be. And that's no one's fault. It just is. Um, but the most important part is to come out of it healthy. And I know that you have with Makai, and Amy's apparently just crushing it, which is great to hear. My family's in the same boat. So I, I empathize because you couldn't do it. You couldn't share it fully with family and friends the way everybody else gets to. Um, but at some point, Makai doesn't even know this existed, first of all, right? <laughs> no idea this has ever happened. And when you look down 10 years from now and you see this little dude running around on the field, throwing a ball, catching a ball, throwing a, throwing a crushing block, <laughs> Well, he'll be a little older than 10 when he's throwing a crushing block. But uh, you're going to say, man, pandemic, what was that? And that's, that's the beauty. 
Yeah. You know, we've always tried in, in this podcast as well is to see silver linings, right? And without dark clouds, there are no silver linings. I've learned that over the course of time. And I think there is one, you know, for your son and for us of, okay, we're home. Like we get to just be home and kind of hibernate with your squad, with your crew. Like I would right now be at media days and then in about three days, start the camp tour. You and I would be going to all 12 schools and knocking out a day, a practice, a meeting, a podcast. And so, so it's a bummer that that isn't the case, of course, for us as professionals, but on the personal level, um, definitely taking advantage of the time at home. Yeah, that's it. And I've, Every weekend during the pandemic, I think every weekend, save one, we've had our two grandkids who live locally with us who are in our bubble, and they are here every weekend. And it's been, you know, and the oldest is three, but it's been an astounding bonding experience uh, for for both Mary and I as grandparents, uh, Mary and me as grandparents. And it's, it's just, it's, as you said, look, this thing is, it, it's very easy <laughs> to fall on the wrong side of, of, of attitude during this pandemic. It is, it's very easy. Um, I have a great friend who I admire so much and I keep calling him Monty Python um, because we actually did a Zoom talk last week and I keep saying, man, you are just Monty Python. You keep looking on the bright side of life no matter what, but it's really valuable. It's so valuable right now. And of course, entering fatherhood as you have uh, and so many others during this pandemic, Look, I said, it's not the ideal scenario. Who cares? You have a healthy child. It's yours, dude. No one's taking it from you. It's yours. <laughs> and guess what? Every diaper change, every, <laughs> every crying jag in the middle of the night, every time Amy elbows you, because, oh, man, I need sleep. You got to go take this, take this one. You have to do it. And someday when, you, when Makai, and I'm sure you've already had this moment with Zane, but someday Makai's going to do something. And it's just going to aggravate. He might be 13. He's just going to aggravate the heck out of you. And you're going to look at him and you're going to say, dude, I changed your diapers. And he's going to be so angry that you say that. He is going to be so <laughs> ragged. He's going to hate that because he, especially if you say it in front of a friend, <laughs> he's going to be so, trust me, I've done this. So I know what I'm speaking about, but it gets them. It gets them right away. You clutch them right back because there's just, it's, it's an, it's an elemental fundamental truth that will never change you change their diapers that's so good all right i'm using that as i told zane the other day i said someday you might change my diapers so start watching you might <laughs> practice know. now <laughs> good so okay. well said yoke <laughs> okay so speaking of practice I, I have this document next to my desk that is every schedule a composite of what we anticipated in the 2020 pack 12, pack 12 schedule we can make this kindling now because that is not going to happen. Alabama, USC, UW, Michigan, Oregon, Ohio State, three epic games, let alone a bunch of other non-conference games we thought were going to happen. Uh, the world knows this is not going to happen now. So what's your take? You know, this is a big week, right? The schedule has pretty much been baked and cooked. It's going to get presented to all the powers that be in the Pac-12 conference. We'll see what comes of that. Uh, but what's your take on at least what's out there? Proposed 10-game schedule, all conference games. Yeah, you know, look, we're, we're talking uh, on Monday of this last week in July, and we all know that by Aug 1, everyone said, okay, that's pretty much the finish line. If you're going to try to have some semblance of a full fall football season, you have to know by Aug 1 what it's going to be. Uh, I'm not sure. I really, you know, and I hate saying this, but I think, I think a lot of the decision makers are in the same boat because, you know, 
this this situation has taken a bad turn in July, as we know, health-wise, public health-wise. It includes a couple of states that are, of course, essential in the pack being Arizona and especially Southern California. Uh, and you're a decision maker and you want to put a stamp on saying, hey, I want everybody back next week to start. That's going to be hard. They may make that decision this week. They may say, go ahead, we're going to try to play by mid-September which is apparently the, the schedule model that has been put in place by the conference administrators. Uh, do the 12 schools sign off on that? Boy, I, uh, I'm uncertain. And, and, you know, I talked to, to Larry Scott on a, on a similar Zoom talk near the beginning of the month. And I asked him that question. I said, Larry, you know, I'm sure because everything's on the table. You've discussed the concept. Hey, if eight say yes, three are wobbling and one says I can't, you know, what, what's, what's the, what's the procedure? And, and he said, look, we, you know, it's pretty vital that we all move in unison here. We all move lockstep and that's going to get pushed, put to its first, I think, ultimate test by the end of this week. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It, check it out. Ted's talks, right? That's the, the phrase. Well, no, right? That's been taken Ted zooms or something. Ted zooms, Ted zooms. Uh, they might be better than some of the Ted talks, uh, but it's a great conversation with, with commissioner Scott. But I started thinking about every region is so different, right? I talked to a coach at Washington State the other day, and they're full on in workouts, right? Mandatory workouts are allowed to begin. Coaches are allowed to be out on the field. And they're going through a version of OTAs, right? Albeit not exactly like the NFL, but it's an easy comparable. Some schools like Arizona, to my knowledge, like that's not, ha- that's not happening, right? Because of what's going on in that state. USC, we've seen uh, Todd Orlando, they put out pictures on social media. He's out there with the team in these types of workouts. So what's the point? The point is that like college football already is not equal everywhere, right? What Alabama has, what Washington State has, what New Mexico State has, like there's no equality. But now in terms of when you can work out, how you can work out, how you can teach because of COVID, there's, it's so different. So then I started thinking of, well, what are players thinking? We talked to Renard Bell last week on the Pac-12 podcast. He can't wait. He's like, I can't wait to run out of Martin Stadium. I'm like, man, nobody's going to be there. You know? <laughs> so these players are – I just think there's so much happening, and every, every community is different, right? Pullman, Washington is one of the safest places in the world to be right now. I can't say the same thing of my backyard here in Los Angeles. So I can only imagine – the dialogue that's going to happen among these university presidents, CEOs, ADs, let alone staffs and players. Yeah. And Yogi, you hit it. And that's where we're still at. Look, July 1st, we were all sitting there feeling really good about this happening, right? And July has been a really rough month for so many places in the country. And particularly, as we know, the Southeast, which is the the most significant thing to watch for college football is how is the Southeast conference right now with, when you look at the maps every day and you see the, the flaming hotspots across their entire footprint, how are they are going to go? Um, and again, as we referenced between Arizona and Southern California, it's been really, it's been rough in July. Uh, and, and, you know, look, I know everybody that's in our business has heard this at some point, you know, you, you don't want to sound like you are doomsayers, right? And, and I know we don't. The one, the thing we want more than anything is to have football, but we also have to deal with reality. For example, you have Zane. I have a three-year-old granddaughter right outside my room here. They desperately want school to start, right? Yep. You desperately want school to start. <laughs> yep. you, 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 you are very similar to my daughter and her husband, two working parents, right? You need 
our, our economy has been structured now around two working parent families, right? That's just blunt truth. Well, why are schools not going to open? Because of teacher safety. You used the word about two minutes ago when you were talking about the coaches on the field, teaching. Mm -hmm. So here's the question that I would think the presidents and CEOs have to discuss in each conference. Okay, if my professors are worried about being in classrooms and I'm going to have on, uh, for example, Cal Berkeley, you see systems, right? Cal Berkeley, so it's all online in the fall. So if my professors don't feel comfortable in, in teaching in a classroom with X number of students, and I'm not trying to be an expert on this, but I just know that's what's happened. How are my coaches going to teach on the football field and in the locker room with 90 plus players. I, that, that's a hurdle that is going to have to be cleared, I'm sure, for the presidents and CEOs to sign on to football this week. Yeah, I think if it does go, right, and to your point, being an optimist, let's, let's just pretend it does. What's going to happen on college campus is going to be fascinating. Like, think back to way back in the day when you're in New York City and you're balling and doing your thing, right, and how you practice. I think back to when I was in the rural Pennsylvania, how we practice. We didn't have meetings with whiteboards. We were on the field. That's where all of our meetings were. You know, that's where all your walkthroughs are. That's how your teaching is. You know, film study, it didn't exist when you were necessarily in high school. But now coaches, I don't even think they're going to be in their buildings. Like there, there is going to be such a dramatic shift that I actually think is going to be good for the profession. I think coaches are going to be at home more. I don't think everybody's going to be you know, psycho competitor, who can stay later, et cetera. And I think for the players, it'll be good just in terms of being kinesthetic learners. So, you know, if this does go, I do think it's going to be really fun when we get to a campus and it might be, you know, via Zoom when we interview coaches pregame, but to talk to them about how are you teaching? How has your freshman, sophomore, Jaden Daniels, uh, uh, Grant Canal, how have they learned how to play quarterback? How's Tyler Shuck learned as a first-year starter under Joe Moorhead? Like, those are the things that I'm really excited about because it's going to flip the model way upside down. Yeah, I here's the other. Um, I think yoga as we talk, and at some point here we'll get into some football because I know that's what desperately people want. I want. You've seen it, and what we've seen in the last five days in the sports world in our country, I think, is where the other issue that has to be addressed, and I'm sure it's already been, but needs to be addressed before final decisions are made. Thursday night, last Thursday, Major League Baseball starts. The first game is the highest rated baseball game on television in nine years. Wow. Right? That speaks right away to the, to the thirst for something new, entertainment that's new. By the day we're talking on Monday, You've had two games postponed already tonight by Major League Baseball. You have one team, the Florida Marlins, in quarantine because they've had an outbreak. And so my point is, again, just the real world. Uh, what you've seen with the NBA and the NHL, which are getting ready to start, everybody's in a bubble. Well, the NHL, it's two bubbles. The NBA, it's one bubble. MLB, the players wouldn't agree to that. So they're trying to do it with 30 bubbles. And the NFL is going to bring its players into camp next week with 32 bubbles. Well, five days in, the MLB bubble is not looking great. That's yeah. the MLB 30 bubble model is what I'm saying. Well, now you're Division I football. You're going to have 120 bubbles, right? And so what do you do because it will happen when you have a team that goes through what the Marlins are going through today in baseball? What do you do? 
And, I, and that's, to me, the other, I mean, it's, I think it's very obvious. That's the question that everybody on board needs to say. We have to have the protocol in place. Here's what happens. Do we do an Adam Silver and shut the whole thing down? Or do we contact trace? Maybe we lose one team for a week <laughs> of games, but we keep going. And that's, I think, obviously what we need to know for the colleges to go forward. Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. It just it just got me thinking, like, of course, Major League Baseball, two games, even in a shortened season is whatever. Two games in college football is a huge deal. Um, and then I started thinking about the people involved. Right? So let's just say it happens in a game and it's a referee, right? Like there's just so many layers of not only the 105 on each sideline and do sidelines change? Do you only dress, you know, scholarship players or only the kid, the 62-ish that went on the travel the travel bus, right? We've been seeing teams now, like home teams are not going to have a hotel that they stay at. They're going to stay in their own apartments this, this fall, which I think that's probably going to remain the way, the case for the entirety of college football this year, next year, and moving forward. Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But, but with that said, Ted, as we look at the scheduling, what, I want to tell you what I, I would love to see. I don't think it's going to happen, but this is what I would love to see. I would love to see every team play their rival twice. I'd love to see SC open with UCLA and close it. Proximity-wise, number one, of course, it's amazing. Um, safety, it's not great for Colorado and Utah. You know, it would have been fun to see them play BYU and CSU. Um, but for everybody else, I would love to see that. I think it would garner dramatic attention, entertainment, as you just referenced. And I think it'd be really fun um, – really fun for the game and for broadcasting for all the stuff that you're going to lose the fans, you're going to lose the camaraderie, but you can keep some pageantry among the rivals. I would love that to happen. I think it's a pipe dream, but um, I'm curious if you would kind of make your call here, what, what would you want? Well, you know, this goes back to something I've been a big proponent of. Some other people have come up with ideas um, like John Wilner's 9am kickoff, which I think is great because I love thinking outside the box and I love that thought you, you just had. I think it's tremendous. And the first thing, as soon as you said that, the first thing I thought of, TV ratings, right? I mean, come on. This is when college football comes back, we're playing for television, right? We know we're not going to have, I don't believe we're going to have fans in the fall. I can't say that for sure because, again, different locales may have different regulations, but it, I'm assuming we're not going to have fans. We're playing for TV, what TV ratings are better than rivalry games, right? And if you spread them, I mean, you, you, the scheduling becomes a little delicate in terms of spreading out. But if you can do that so that they're not all clustered um, and there's perhaps a rivalry game every week, becomes yeah. a special entity, right? One rivalry game every week that I'm sure I know it's easier said than done. But if you can somehow find a way to do that, wow. I think that's great because as yoga, as you know, what we talked about in personal life, football coaches, you were a coach, football coaches are as, are as big creatures of habit as anybody I've ever met in my career in sports. Well, they got to break the habits this year. Everybody has to, everything is going to be different. Everything. So the coaches have to think outside the box and hopefully it's just for one year. We hope, but that's an outside the box thought to me. That's worth that's worth, you know, that's worth going deep with that one. I like that. Run a nine route. Let's go. I'm in. So what do you think? Uh, I was uh, just go off script for a second, watching baseball the other night. And it's interesting. Different channels have different methodologies. I was trying to think like as a broadcaster, if there's, would I like fake noise? Would I like fake fans that are on the TV screen for people at home? Like, what's your thought on that? 
And how would you approach it? I, I was a skeptic going in and I watched a couple of exhibition games last week in baseball and I thought it was great. The sound noise was great. It really helped me. And now baseball is, is there are, there's an apples and oranges here with football, obviously. One big one is that baseball is, even on television, it's a little bit of a background sport. You don't really sit at home and watch a baseball game glued to every single pitch and every moment between pitches, unless it's the ninth inning of a close game or it's a postseason game. So I'm wandering in and out. That little background crowd hum keeps me attached to the mm. fact that there's a game going on. It's a live game going on. Uh, I watched some tennis events from Europe over the weekend that had the same thing in between points. Obviously in tennis, there is no sound during a point. It, I thought it was okay. So I, I, I'm convinced. Again, I was a skeptic going in. My early response is I'm happy to be wrong. <laughs> um, you know, football, it's going to be, you know, it's, it, it's going to be really tough on football players, I think. You know, they're just so used to the crowd roaring. I mean, the crowd never stops roaring, right, in a football game. And all of a sudden you're, you're uh, let's, say, let's say it's, it's the Apple Cup round one this year. And Washington State's quarterback is at Husky Stadium and he doesn't have to raise his hands to, you know, or he doesn't have to use hand signals to bark out the crowd noise, which in, during an Apple Cup real game, he'd have to do that on every single snap, right? Yeah. And he won't have to do it at all. That's going to be strange. That's going to be strange for everybody. But for the, for the viewer at home, I thought the crowd noise, at least the baseball and a little bit of tennis that I saw, was very good. What do you think? I, I, I'm with you. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I love – I played football as a, you know, in high school because of the most amount of people went to the game. I mean, you know me. I love in a third down, you're calling out a formation. I pull out one side of my headset just to hear what the crowd is like at Autzen. Yeah. Like that gives me chills now. So I think I, I, I'm a fan of it. Uh, anything to increase the environment, especially, uh, you know, the viewership would be, would be really fun. Cause I think it's going to be fun to do TV if we do this year, what a great responsibility, you know, to really bring some entertainment into somebody's house around the game that we love. So however we can enhance it. The thing that I keep thinking about though, in, and there's a few things in football that you can write on a whiteboard. You, you can write it uh, with ink anywhere you want. These things always happen. In week three or four, every single coach says we need to scale back the playbook. Everybody says it. Every single coach in the history of the world says it. <laughs> they also say in week three of camp, we had our worst day today. We had our worst scrimmage. We got to come back tomorrow with a better focus. So I say that because college athletes, they're going to play games, presumably, with no fans. There's going to be a day where Davis Mills doesn't play his best, just like he would in training camp. Because, and I think that the crowd sometimes, whether it's a home or away game, it can kind of pull you out of a slump to a little bit. And I think guys are going to have to be so focused this year football-wise because there is no margin for error because every game is a conference game. You don't get to play a non-con game where you can kind of sleepwalk for a little bit and then ramp it up. You can't do it. There's, there's no gimme. Arizona's not a gimme. Oregon State's not a gimme in this conference anymore. Like that, that doesn't happen. So I'm so curious. I would tell Scott Barkey, our director, I want the tightest shots of Kayvon Thibodeau. Is he focused on the sideline? Yeah. Or is it well, like it is when we go to scrimmages sometimes and guys are just kind of drifting here and there? That, to me, is, is a reason why I would love crowd noise pumped into the stadium, just to keep guys engaged as it's going. Well, that's where I was thinking, Yoke. So, okay, here now we have to get into the reality. I, I'm 
there was no Madden football when I was developing. Okay. So I'm not a Madden guy. You were, and everybody since is Madden football has soundtrack, right? <laughs> so I'm saying point. every kid that's grown up in football by playing Madden has been used to having soundtrack. So that same young dude's going to run out on the field, Renard Bell <laughs> at Martin stadium at some point this fall. And it's going to be, I mean, they'll try to obviously pump something through every school will have its own, uh, uh, you know, I'm assuming every school will have its own rit- routine and ritual on how they do that in concert with their coach. This is what our guys need to feel pumped, to feel engaged. There'll have to be something. Football is not tennis or golf. You can't play the, the sport in silence. You just can't. Yeah. Okay, so talking about the sport, to me, this last week has been really interesting. Um, I believe it was on the 17th of July, uh, Tony Fields decided to enter the portal. Started three-year starter at linebacker, right? Him and Colin Schooler are faces of that program. And then Jack Yeri, who signed at USC, the legendary name everybody knows, um, he opts out and reportedly going to UW. None of that's confirmed, uh, as well as nothing is confirmed in Tony Fields of where he's going. But he announced his three finalists today. And it was Minnesota. It was Texas. And I'm, and I'm blanking on the other one right now. Um, but they were all surprises to me. Like none of them were big schools. None of them were in the pack. And he was offered at a lot of places in the, in the pack. I, I think it's going to be interesting now. If you're, a, if you're a grad transfer eligible type player like he is, like our guy's going to start looking right now. Um, it's a little bit of news because right now we don't have a ton of news. And I was also dramatically surprised to see a three-year starter who's going to be coached by Paul Rhodes uh, decide to enter the portal. At, at this stage of the game when literally camp, you know, at least was supposed to start this week for the majority of teams, especially them, because uh, they had an early game. They had an August 29th week zero game. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're the first thing, and I, you, Texas is a pretty appeal. I mean, if you are, you have one shot left in college football and you want to go play in a place where the sports beloved, where you're going to have 8 billion, you know, well, they won't have them for perhaps this year, although Texas is, is its own entity, as we know. Um, it's it's pretty good place to go try and play if Texas indeed offered them as aggressively as it seems they did. Um, the whole scramble to me, Yog, is, uh, well, I, I think it's real. Um, another subject that's going to be a, a facet, I think, of whenever we get a decision made is there will be some players that just don't play. It's just yeah. going to happen. It's happened in the pro sports. It will happen in the college sports. There was a, a, a very insightful piece by uh, Real Sports last week with the parents of two brothers, one of whom plays at Michigan, the other whom of whom is an incoming at Stanford. And the parents are very, very un- displeased with football rushing themselves back to play without, oh, in, in this current climate, let's put it that way. The father of these two players is Chris Hinton, who was a number one draft pick in my year coming out of Northwestern and played, I believe, 14 years in the NFL, was like eight Pro Bowls. So this is a guy, I mean, he's been through the wars. He's very, you know, very sharp and was very adamant about that. And clearly two sons who are playing at uh, very good schools, Michigan and incoming at Stanford. So I have a feeling we're going to see more of that. Um, and then depending, because the other, uh, you know, thing that's been out there and I, it doesn't seem like 
that's on the lead play right now, Yogi. It doesn't seem like it's on the front burner, but there is definitely options out there to play at the very least a split season. If, if, if the presidents and CEOs of conferences and schools don't feel like they can get this thing going uh, by Labor Day, um, in some cases, there's that option that's been out there to play a split season. And then you start saying, okay, how many players do we lose to the professional game? Uh, and I think that's, ex- I think that's exceedingly real. I know others have tried to dismiss that. I think that's lunacy to dismiss it and just look at basketball, <laughs> just look at basketball and how many players declare for the draft every year out of basketball that don't get drafted. So uh, and I hope that that split season doesn't happen. I know it has been, it is, it's at least like everything else. It's been on the table. It's been discussed, but back to where you started with Tony Fields, Yoga, I just think there's going to be a ton of player movement out of this because everything's again, the norms are all being thrown out right now. Yeah. The other school I looked it up um, was West Virginia. It's like, think about it. Like it's to me, it's ridiculous when you look at those three schools. Um, Why would he go to any of them? Because he thinks he's going to be able to play there, not in terms of just go start, but they're going to play. Uh, With that said, I I got a big gripe that I've had during all this is the college football is already divisive. It's to me, it's unfortunately become even more in my lens, right? When you see all these conferences kind of stepping out and doing their own thing, it feels to a degree it's every man for themselves versus, hey, let's all be on the same page here. Right. Every region has been hit by this, some harder than others at certain times of the pandemic, some at the very exact same time. But it just feels as though it's, I don't know, everybody's trying to trump one another. Oh, my decision, our decision, this conference is not going to do this. This conference is going to do this. This is a negative for a conference versus, hey, like this is a collective game. Like if there's one time where college football can come under the umbrella of, providing an outlet for a beautiful sport and education for young men to achieve a dream is now, but it's become who's going to play, who's not going to play, who's going to play 10 game schedule. Who's going to play an 11 game schedule. Who's going to have an early game like Oklahoma. To me, that's just such BS. And to your point, like as this thing moves along, all those things, my personal take, if I was going to project, they're all going to get knocked down and we're all going to be on the same level playing field anyway. Like, I think that's going to be the end result of this. Everybody's going to play the same amount of games or try to and abide by the same rules, the same uh, concerns, and ideally the same processes when someone or a group of people do get infected with COVID-19. But in the, in the meantime, in the interim, now I just feel it's about like picking battles among these, these five conferences. And it maybe Big Ten and Pac-12 would be in the same boat because of the decision that they both made. Yeah. Well, Yogi, doesn't college football reflect our country right now? Amen, bro. I mean, Amen. Yeah, you know, we 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 are have been, I think, largely for the last three and a half years, and really during this pandemic, we have been the disunited states, and we see it. And different parts of the country, different states within those parts of the country, have vastly different views of the seriousness of a pandemic, the measures that should be taken, the measures that should be imposed upon people without choice. Um, that's a huge problem. So it's bleeding into college football. And I think anybody who's listening to this knows, but just for that, perhaps that one shred sake, college football has no unity. There is no unifying body. It is not like the professional sports league where there is a central office that can tell everybody what to do. That doesn't happen in college football and football in particular is run by the individual conferences. So 
uh, despite their efforts, because we know, and we know from talking to PAC 12 commissioner, Larry Scott, they've continued those daily phone calls, right? The power five conference commissioners during this entire pandemic. Despite that, the big 10 still jumped out and made its announcement first. They jumped a gun on the conference only. Um, the PAC 12 then jumped in right behind. Now the big 12 is kind of lingering behind saying, I think we're going to play. I don't problem. We don't see a problem. And of course, the Big 12 has a huge footprint in Texas, which is we know is the most single independent state in the country. Texas does not like to be told by anybody anything about what to do. Um, So I I just I I feel that's another hurdle that the for the big umbrella of the CFP. And I don't know enough about the CFP structure to know, does it have to play in January in its current state? our current scheduling for the money to be the same. Can you play the CFP in March or April uh, and keep the revenues the same? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if you do, but I don't. Um, That was to me, be a huge driver if I'm sitting in the SEC (laughs) or if I'm in Clemson's chair, you know, that CFP money, which has been pretty much mine the last five, six years, I'm not losing that. So I'm going to play if I have to be in the CFP in January. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it, we should do a whole podcast um, on the CFP as we move forward. Because I, I, I just think back to it. You know, I got to go last year. We've talked about that and, and be a mock committee member. And I got to be Rob Mullins, who's the chair. And now you think about at least the, the latest from Bill Hancock, who's the director of the CFP, has said, we're not going to change. You know, We hired the best uh, to be the best and to evaluate as elite as anyone could. And they're going to pick the four best teams. You know, regardless of if Clemson plays eight games and they go eight and oh and Oregon plays 10 and they go nine and one, they're going to let them make that evaluation. Th- that's to be debated for sure. But I, I start thinking about the process. Nobody's going to meet in Dallas at the hotel, okay. you know? So now, and the way that it works, the conversations and how they get guided and how they get voted on, it's going to be different. They'll do their best, but the swaying of opinions, I don't know if it's going to be able to be as much as it has been probably in the past in terms of making arguments and presenting your case for each respective school and team. And I don't know. I think it, I, I hope they just are allowing themselves to be fluid, I guess is probably how I net out on your question. Yeah. You and you raised another interesting point about the playing of the season, Yoga, which is travel. And again, we've seen it the very beginning of it with uh, Major League Baseball. And immediately this problem we already referenced, but the fact that uh, in traveling parties for major league baseball are being severely limited. A lot of the normal person, excuse me, a lot of the normal personnel that travels is not traveling. Um, And that's sensible. It's very sensible. You have been around football, both as a player and a coach, you know how hard that's going to be for coaches to scale back to say, I can't bring 26 managers I can't bring 43 graduate assistants and tape analysts and 16 camera. I mean, just football is a sport of excess. We know that. That does not work this fall. Yeah. And I, my first question, and I, I got this document, I, I think I sent it to you, where I comped out every staff in the Pac-12 against Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, um, to just see, and, and Georgia. Like, how many people do they really have? So I'd be curious to ask, you know, the staffs, LSU is the staffs of 30 people, right? There's only 10, co- 10 like in air quote coaches, full-time coaches. How many are they going to bring? How many are even allowed at the facility? What are they doing in the facility? I believe Alabama has two different buildings, you know, one for full-time staff and one for 
the, the analytics, the recruiting staff. So I, I, it's, a, it's a great question. And then I think of like all the donors that used to fly to all these games. They ain't coming anymore, oh. right? You'd imagine. Um, well, so can they get in? I mean, they all have private planes. I'm assuming if they're <laughs> donating at that level, but can they get it right? The private plane will take them there, but can they get in the stadium? Yeah, it's a great point. So, so here's the other thing, Yoga, about your your out of the box thought that if you were to play the rivalry games twice in all but the Colorado Utah scenario, you reduce travel. And the yeah. more you can, and the Pac-12, we understand the, 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 the size of our footprint is massive. Um, you know, the SEC has the same problem because they've, you know, with Missouri and, uh, and Texas A&M now in the conference. Uh, but the more you can make this bus, which I know football people don't want to hear, but the more you can make this bus, which is what the Big Ten is going to be able to do in a lot of cases, uh, the, the better the travel is going to be. The safer it's going to be, the less, you just lessen the chance of having a Florida Marlin situation. Well, I, I can't wait to see the schedule when it comes out because it is not going to, in my opinion, it will not mirror the schedule that was out. Like, I do think that SC, for instance, will play Arizona much earlier than they were supposed to. They were supposed to play them October 17th, right, at Arizona. They play them now second week of September. Is it the opener, right? To your point of the schools within proximity, like the Pac-12 South, a little tighter in terms of the two LA schools can drive to the Arizona schools, no problem, and vice versa. Whereas in the north, it, you really only have your one school, and it's probably even a stretch in terms of UW and and Wazoo. Uh, but but I I've, I'm really curious to see how it's laid out in that regard. I'm sure the pandemic has been obviously front of mind of all right, what are we going to do? Like who, who plays week one? Right? I don't think Stanford SC plays week one. And then I go a step further, and we've talked to people at the Pac-12 about this, and the Pac-12 has talked about this openly. Do you schedule with the end in mind? I think you need to, right? Oregon's not going to play USC in the opener. I'm, I'm making that as a statement based on nothing other than my own intellect, and I hope I'm right because I don't think that's the right move. The two best teams that I think are in the Pac-12 should not play each other to start the season. So how do you set up the schedules so – I don't want to say you take care of teams, but there's a lot, there's a lot of moving parts when this thing does come out. And I'm really curious to see how they, how they, how they manage the, the navigation of who's local, let alone the competitive side. And, and then how does television factor into this? Good point. Because we also know, you know, you televisions, the, the two partner networks that are paying are going to want, games in marquee spots, but they also have their other conferences to juggle. Plus they have their other sports, right? You're going to have the NBA finals going on in October, early October is the NBA finals. And you're going to have major league baseball and all through October, you know, extra rounds of playoffs, et cetera. So I'm just saying, this is all a good problem to have. It's what we talked about early in the pandemic. We knew in the fall that there was going to be this incredible concentration of events it's better than no events, but it does factor into, I think, your equation. I'm sure that internally, as the conference has worked on a proposed schedule, that's been a conversation they've had to have with both Fox and ESPN. Yeah, well said. Okay, so um, I'm pumped that we're doing this, and we're going to start doing it once a week now. Um, we're going to ramp up, just like everybody else is ramping up, at least for the anticipation of a training camp and then eventual season. We'll get Molinari on here at some point. He's, he's with the NBA, right? Well, we should tell 
the listeners, because we know, we know unbelievably Molinari does have a following, uh, that we understand he's in the bubble in Orlando. Okay. I don't know if there's been an excused absence yet. And I have checked the Atlanta Journal Constitution's website. There has been no Molinari sighting in Atlanta. That's good news. That's good news. But that's, we understand Michael is bubbling right now in Orlando. Amen to that. Amen to that. Okay, so we're going to keep bubbling. Um, but we wanted to add a new twist to this. You know, we don't have Michael here to offer his humanity moment of the week. But we want to offer a piece of content that might make you feel better, add to your life, um, something that uh, we recommend. So, Ted, uh, what piece of content would you recommend? We'll make sure we put it in the show notes. We've got a new producer helping us out, Shane Levy. He's a high school baseball player here in Southern California. So, Shane, make sure you put these in the show notes, brother. And uh, Ted will let you go first, and, and I'll follow up. Well, I, and um, unfortunately, right now, because, you know, the, the, uh, the good news college football stories, at least I haven't been able to come across a whole lot of them yet um, in the human interest realm, I do think there's a significant story that is absolutely entwined with our conversation and why football has to go, has to be played. If there's any way to do this safely, football needs to be played. And it was Sports Illustrated wrote a magnificent story in September, or excuse me, in mid-June. And it talked about the number of sports that have already been cut at top tier schools. Division one, what we used, to, what we still call Division one schools, already fearing the the budget cuts because of the loss of March Madness this year, right? The loss of spring sports, um, and how how much that will get multiplied if football is severely impacted this fall. And being someone who um, loves Olympic sports, has been around Olympic sports a lot, uh, hears from a lot of Olympic sports people, and I live four miles away from a school that. Um, sadly just cut 11 sports in yeah. Stanford. Uh, and that's a complicated story that is, I, I'm no way am I suggesting that it was callous on Stanford's part at all. That's not my point. Uh, what I do suggest is that could be a beacon for other schools to say, if Stanford can drop 11 sports, then we have to look at ours. And, you know, we've already seen, I believe tennis has been the most severely impacted sport so far. I think there have been some crazy number, over 30 college tennis programs have already been dropped since the pandemic started. So this story was written by Pat Forty, who's a Stanford dad, by the way, uh, and Ross Dellinger. It was mid-June in Sports Illustrated. And it's a, it's a wonderful story to make, if you care, again, if you're listening to this, you care about college football. It makes you really understand the importance of college football, and we all understand why, financially, to college athletics. The two are, I think, can never, never be separated. Mm. All right. I can't wait to check that out. Um, I'm going to go down the road of football, but a little adjacent. I met this man probably four years ago in the Pac-12 offices, and he just retired from playing. Uh, He was a standout in college, standout, uh, solid player in the NFL, and now, uh, not only is he on television talking about college football, but he exploded on the internet and uncomfortable conversations with black man, Emmanuel Acho. Oh. We've talked about that series, uncomfortableconvos.com. Watch it, watch it by yourself, watch it with your loved ones. Um, it's really impressive. He's really impressive. And I, I've really enjoyed watching them. And for somebody who has lived in locker rooms, he, Talks about his locker room experiences in some of these episodes of various locker rooms. 
as well as right now is we're going through a lot in this country. We talked about pandemic a ton on this podcast, but also around racism and being anti-racist. It is a it is an awesome series, and it looks like he's going to continue doing it. So, Ted, I think we're, we're going to need to try to get him on our podcast. He's a good dude. He'd come on and uh, definitely something to check out. Yogi, you triggered me to that. I did not know it existed. You sent it to me. I, been, I watched a couple more of them this morning before we did this and noticed that uh, he has he's going to write a book about yeah. this, and Oprah's going to publish it. I saw yeah. that this morning, and I can't tell you how it's been a fascinating and, and just a truly, you know, great watch. It's what I love is that uh, I did this interview with uh, uh, a Zoom thing with Bernard Muir, Stanford AD, when Bernard first put his statement out in early June um, in the immediate aftermath of George Floyd. And I asked Bernard at the end, I said, Bernard, help me. I'm a guy who's been around. So I'm, you know, that slightly older white guy. What can I do? And what I love is that that's the question Emmanuel Acho in, in a bunch Acho in a bunch of the episodes I've watched. He's basically addressing that. He's telling people like me, "What can I do other than you know click on a link, like somebody else's statement?" I mean, those are all things everybody does. Really, what can we do to make a difference? I think I think that's great. And by the way, the the article I'm referenced. It's called uh, Sports Illustrated. It's a collegiate model in crisis. That's the name of the article from June 11th. And I would strongly, if you, if you care a lot about college athletics and full athletic programs, it's a great read. Love it. All right, Ted Robinson. Thank you, brother. I'm going to go make sure I handle the family. And uh, I'll talk to you again next week, man. I love you. Love you, Yog. All right. Talk to you soon. Everybody stay positive. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.